Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, back in the early 2000s, you'll probably recall, uh, the author Dan Brown wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code that exploded on the scene. Everyone was reading this book, The Da Vinci Code. And pretty soon after that, it was adapted into film. Tom Hanks played the lead role, starring as Robert Langdon, the symbologist, the art historian person. So this story that Dan Brown wrote, uh, what was he alleging in this story? Basically this, that the gospel story of Jesus that we're familiar with, Jesus as the divine son of God, was a later fabrication that covered up the true story It's the true story, the real story of Jesus, that if you flip on the History Channel any point in the next few days, you'll see what they think is the real story of Jesus by folks like Bart Ehrman and John Dominic Crossan. Anyway, the story goes like this, that the real Jesus was just merely mortal, and he was uh, in love with Mary Magdalene, and they were married, and they had children together. That's the story that Dan Brown was alleging to write. Now, On this Tuesday octave, I want to be very careful in what I'm saying because there are some very, uh, I mean, in many, many, many ways, Dan Brown was very wrong. No one write letters to the bishop that I am agreeing with Dan Brown, okay? Heresy, it's heretical. And yet, there's some aspects of what he wrote that in interesting ways, kind of, sort of, he got it right a little bit, but in a twisted way. Here's what I mean. Stay with me. I promise this is not heresy. Okay. So what did he get wrong? Like I said, nearly everything. Jesus was not married to Mary Magdalene. He was a celibate. He never fathered any biological children. The Gospels tell the true story of Jesus. He's the divine Son of God, the Word incarnate, all of those things, the story of his mission, his miracles, his death and resurrection, all of that. That's the true story, not the Dan Brown version. But what did he kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of get right? Well, it's this. Well, who is Jesus? Yes, he's Israel's Messiah. He's Israel's Lord. He's Israel's Savior. He's the Kyrios, as Paul would say, Christos Kyrios. He's God in the flesh. But the identity that Jesus over and over and over again takes to himself throughout the Gospels is that of the divine bridegroom. I am the divine bridegroom. Again, I'll preach this to the day I die, that the entire story of salvation history, it's a conspiracy of love, right, in which God casts himself in the role of the groom, which means that humanity, Israel, the church, is the bride, right? That the mission of humanity is to open and receive the gift that comes from God's heart. God who is interested in so much more than just a mere personal relationship that the Bible is telling the story of how deep the Lord wants to go with us. And the least inadequate image that God gives throughout the scriptures is that of spousal love from beginning to end, beginning with the marriage of Adam and Eve in the garden, culminating with the marriage of Christ the Lamb and the church in the book of Revelation. And again, throughout the prophetic literature, the imagery of that of spousal love. If you were here at the Easter vigil, you heard this imagery of spousal love over and over and over again in the exaltet, right? This night where things of heaven are wed to those of earth, the divine to the human. So Christ comes in the flesh as the divine bridegroom. And in fact, in Jerusalem, in the the church of the Holy Sepulchre, 
right beneath the altar that's built over Calvary, right? So the Holy Sepulchre is, is a church on two levels. And on the upper level, you go up these steps to where the, the bedrock where Calvary was. And this altar is built over Calvary. And you can venerate the spot where Jesus' cross was. You can reach your hand through this hole and touch the rock. I freaked out because my arm actually got stuck in the hole for about three seconds. Like, I guess this is where I'm going to die. I guess I'm going to live here forever now. <laughs> Someone have any butter? <laughs> but I looked, and I didn't know this this last time, that directly beneath the altar, right over the spot where the cross was, is the icon of Christ the bridegroom. It's the bridegroom icon. It's like the church is screaming this. Like, this is who Jesus is. This is not my personal interpretation, right? Christ is the bridegroom, and Mary Magdalene is in many ways an icon of the bride. She's a sign of the bride. She's a sign of the beloved. This isn't my personal interpretation. This is right here in the text, if you have the eyes to see it. This is how John the Evangelist is structuring the narrative of Easter morning in order to communicate this, these beautiful truths to us. Like, in other words, if you were a first century Jew listening or reading John's account of Easter morning, you would hear resonances of another book in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You would feel like, man, that just rhymes with, sounds like, is structured just like the Song of Songs. And again, you've heard me preach this before, the Song of Songs. According to the ancient Jewish rabbis, all of Scripture is holy. The Song of Songs is the holy of holies. The story of this love between a bridegroom and a bride. Pope Benedict said the Song of Songs expresses the essence of biblical faith. That there's intentional parallelism between this account of Easter morning and the Song of Songs. Right. So John starts his account of Easter morning in, in Verse 20, on the first day of the week, chapter 20, the first day of the week, early in the morning, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb while it's still dark. Then if you flip to the Song of Songs, beginning in chapter 3, we hear this from the bride. Upon my bed, by night, early in the morning, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Mary Magdalene, restless Mary Magdalene, early in the morning, searching for the one whom her soul loves, right? So Mary comes to the tomb. She discovers what? He's not there. Back to the Song of Songs, verse 2. I sought him, but found him not. He's not there. Then the bride of the Song and Songs, what happens next? She encounters what the scripture says, the watchman. Elsewhere in the Bible, if you look, the word watchman also gets translated as angels. Now think of that hymn, ye watchers and ye holy ones. We're talking about the angels, right? So the bride says, the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Who does Mary Magdalene encounter next in this story? Look at that two angels, right? She peers into the tomb and sees two angels. And she says to them, they have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Then back to the bride in the Song of Songs. All of a sudden, right? All of a sudden she finds him. Verse 4, scarcely had I passed by them when I found him whom my soul loves. 
What happens next to Mary? She turns around and Jesus is there. And what does she do? She falls to her feet and she grabs a hold of him. She clings to him. What does the bride do in the Song of Songs? I held him and would not let him go. And then let's press a little bit further. When Mary first sees Jesus here in this gospel we just heard, she doesn't recognize him. What does she think she's, who does she think he is? The gardener. The gardener, right? And where are they in this encounter? They're in a garden. They're in a garden. What was Adam's role in the beginning? He was to till and to keep the garden. He was the gardener, right? Who's Jesus? The new Adam. Like all of this, all of this nuptial imagery is all over the place. It's all over the place. What is all of this telling us? What is the church trying to tell us? That he suffered death, he was buried, he rose from the dead in order to give himself to us. Right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. Right? The Lord rose from the dead in order to give us his divine life, to put his divine life, resurrected life, in us. What was the psalm we just said? The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. You could translate that as the earth is pregnant with the goodness of the Lord. Who is Mary? The earth. Who does she represent? The church, the bride, you and me. And what is she? She is full of divine life. She is the sign and symbol of who we are and who we are called to be. And what happens to us at every Mass? The earth, your earth, my earth, holds this treasure in an earthen vessel. The earth is full of the goodness of God. The bridegroom rises from the earth in splendor and glory in order to give himself to the bride, that he would put his resurrected life in her. So Dan Brown, terrible theologian, but he was kind of onto something. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> Amen.